This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Learn more about how we can help you with fleet recall management and maintenance updates, as well as capture vehicle history and VIN data. Give VinSmart a call at 1-888-950-9550 or visit us on the web at vinsmart.com slash businesses. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AnvaCast. This week, we are taking some time to talk to one of Anva's key strategic partners, CCMTA, the Canadian Council of Motor Transport Administrators. And for all of us to learn more about CCMTA, I am pleased to welcome their chair of the board. Doug McEwen. Doug is by day, if you will, the Registrar of Motor Vehicles at Prince Edward Island and uh, serves as the chair for CCMTA. Doug, welcome to your first appearance on the AmbiCast. Thank you, Ian. Doug, we talk a lot about CCMTA. We reference CCMTA. It's a very present partner in the, in the AMVA community. But I don't know that everybody listening really understands what CCMTA is is all about. I think there's sometimes a back-of-the-envelope definition that maybe CCMTA is a AMVA for Canada, but it's a little bit more complicated than that with the role that CCMTA plays in the transport environment in Canada. So can you give us maybe the 101 on what exactly CCMTA is as an organization? Sure. So the Canadian Council of Motor Transport Administrators is not unlike AMVA. Uh, we are a nonprofit incorporated organization, consists of federal, territorial, and provincial officials in Canada who administer, regulate, and control motor vehicle transportation and highway safety laws, much like AMVA's member jurisdictions. Developing programs and standards for our members to implement as appropriate, uh, serve as a forum and information clearinghouse in these areas. And uh, we have a very strong foundation and leadership in this space with over 80 years of experience. Is there a also a regulatory role that CCMTA plays kind of in a, a quasi-government role? That's always been my understanding that there is some spaces where, unlike ANVA, where we are you know strictly that facilitator and that clearinghouse, there are some topics where CCMTA has a more direct connection with government oversight. So we support our members basically by providing a facilitation option for people or for the jurisdictions to get together when it comes to regulations. So yes, we have working groups that work on regulations or work on making amendments to regulations. So we do provide some oversight on that part of it. But technically, we would develop our work or our membership would work towards making an amendment to a regulation. Then it's up to the jurisdictions. Each uh, jurisdiction has the right to... uh, adopt the regulation, and uh, some of them do it in different ways. But yeah, we do, uh, as an example right now, we have a couple of working groups working on ELDs, electronic logging devices. It is basically the responsibility of the federal government, Transport Canada, but we have provided the facilitation device for groups to meet to develop uh, the technical standard as well as make an amendment to National Safety Code Standard 9. Since you mentioned it, I was going to ask you a little bit about it later, but tell us a little more about the National Safety Code. I don't know that that's something that some of our U.S. listeners are really familiar with. 
Yeah, well, well, CCMTA is the custodian of the National Safety Code. So it's basically a set of 16 standards developed by member jurisdictions of CCMTA in consultation with the motor carrier industry. It's basically developed to promote efficiency in the motor carrier industry and achieves consistent safety standards across Canada. Designed to create a comprehensive code of minimum performance standards for the safe operation of passenger and commercial vehicles. And it's uh, developed in the structure of an MOU with the federal, provincial, and territorial ministers responsible for transportation and highway safety. So every time there's a an amendment to uh, an NSC standard, then there would be an MOU go out and the ministers would all sign off agreeing to adopt that in their jurisdiction. All the provinces and territories use the National Safety Code as the cornerstone of their commercial vehicle regulatory framework with standards either adopted by reference into jurisdictional regulation or mirrored in provincial and territorial laws. So I hope that explains some of it. Absolutely. And all the jurisdictions in Canada are members of CCMTA, all the individual jurisdictions, provinces and territories of Canada are members. That's correct, along with the federal government. Along the federal government. Yes. And I think, you know, for those that are more familiar with the, the U.S. structure, we know that in, in some states where we handle driver's licenses or vehicle registration issues may or may not be the same agency within a jurisdiction. Do you tend to have that different diversity across Canada in terms of how each jurisdiction has a government structure to do these services. There is a bit of that diversity you're referencing in your words there. As an example, the responsibility for driver licensing may rely with a couple of different government agencies and jurisdictions. As an example, public safety in one jurisdiction may only look after commercial vehicle enforcement, whereas a transportation department or a highway safety department may look after driver licensing or vice versa. And then you have a couple of Canadian jurisdictions who have huge government insurance agencies. British Columbia, as an example, uh, Saskatchewan, as an example, they run a provincial insurance agency where the driver licensing and the vehicle registration are tied closely together, run out of a government organization. As an example, Saskatchewan is Saskatchewan General Insurance. So so yeah, there are there's some differences. My limited experience with AMVA and with the U.S. setup, there are many, many nuances there. It wouldn't be as complicated in Canada, but it, but there are some differing uh, parties involved. And for CCMTA, you mentioned the outset that fundamentally it is very similar to AMVA in terms of providing the resources and a clearinghouse for information. Are the topics that your members are most concerned about, are those the similar topics that we talk about AMVA holistically? Or are there topics that are more specific to the Canadian members that maybe AMVA as a whole uh, isn't as laser focused on? So most of the topics would be maybe more um, of interest to the Canadian jurisdictions themselves. But I can tell you from, from my limited involvement with AMVA and from the feedback that I get from my colleagues in CCMTA, the influence of AMVA is huge in our organization and huge in our jurisdictions. And, and uh, everyone speaks so very positively about their involvement with AMVA because you are so much bigger than, than Canada, so much more experience to draw from with regards to regulation or driver licensing or vehicle registration or whatnot. But as an example, uh, Canadian Council of Motor Transport Administrators, we have the Board of Directors and we have three standing committees, Drivers and Vehicles, Road Safety Research and Policy, and our Compliance and Regulatory Affairs. And for the most part, uh, CRA, Compliance and Regulatory Affairs, is devoted to commercial vehicle industry. So where you would have your PMV, your Periodic Motor Vehicle Inspection, ELDs fall under there. So under those three standing committees, there are 
numerous working groups involved. So, uh, and if a topic comes up as an example, electronic logging devices has been a hot topic for the last couple of years. We had a working group under compliance and regulatory affairs that did some adjustments to the national safety code standard, and they also worked on a technical standard as well. So, yeah, the the topics, you know, there's a lot of familiarity and a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say duplication, because we certainly, uh, we learn from some of the things that go on in our AMVA jurisdictions in the U.S. as well, but uh, there's a lot of a lot of close ties between the two organizations from that respect. Sure. And a lot of the same people attend the uh, the meetings as well. So Absolutely. Well, let's talk about those three committees and some of the hot topics that they're tackling. In the Regulatory Affairs Committee, you talked about some of those commercial vehicle topics. How much do they attempt to harmonize with U.S. standards or what FMCSA might be putting out uh, versus, you know, looking at what the Canadian standards might be and what the Canadian shared standards will be. Is there any conversation that happens there around for North American harmonization? No question. There's a huge amount of interaction between FMCSA and CCMTA and Transport Canada and with AMVA as well. Because trucks flow north and south of the border, we have to try to make it as harmonized as we possibly can so that drivers can get in a truck in Prince Edward Island, as an example, and drive to California. And so we try to harmonize our rules. Um, I've been involved with a lot of rule uh, harmonization with regards to, as an example, cargo securement across the border. And, and we do a lot of harmonization activities through CVSA for that one. Transportation of dangerous goods is another one that we try to harmonize as best we can. And now uh, we're working on trying to harmonize with the electronic logging device requirements in the the two jurisdictions. We know uh, there's differences with our hours of service, but we try to work uh, so that, because obviously it's, it's to our benefit here in Canada, if we have our drivers trained up to what the expectation is when they cross the border with regards to hours of service, dangerous goods, or cargo securement as well. So there's a lot of harmonization efforts ongoing. And in the Highway Safety Committee, you know, if we had a Highway Safety Committee that was U.S.-centric, you know, they would talk about the continued challenge of impaired driving, the emerging challenge of drug driving. Speed is always an issue and has certainly popped back up to the forefront during this last year where less cars are on the road, so more people were driving faster. Similar safety challenges or different trends that CCMPA is seeing? Very similar challenges. Very, As an example, impaired driving, drug impairment, alcohol impairment are all forefront in most jurisdictions. Speed, as you mentioned, has become a huge issue during COVID. And I guess it's because of lack of vehicles on the highway. And what's really scary is that we're seeing the younger generation, high-speed incidents involving 18 and 19-year-old drivers that have very limited experience to handle a motor vehicle, especially at 220 kilometers an hour. So basically the same issues across, but certainly we can learn from one another. Some of the same principles will appear. Impaired driving, as an example, we're always uh, looking at what some of the U.S. jurisdictions are doing to combat impaired driving. We try to copy some of that here, and we try to do programming that, that is effective with our drivers. One subset of impaired driving, of course, that continues to get a lot of attention is how that's changing following the legalization of marijuana. And of course, in the U.S., it's happening state by state, you know, jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Canada had more of a national legalization of marijuana recently. What has that done to the conversation around drug driving? It has certainly entered into a lot of conversation around drugs and driving, both from a commercial vehicle operation perspective as well as a private passenger vehicle. 
We have a call coming up this week where we're going to talk about doing a roadside survey here in Atlantic Canada to identify how big is the problem with uh, with drug impairment with our drivers. Ever since marijuana was legalized, Ian, we're starting to see more and more truck drivers that may be suffering from other issues that are using marijuana for sleep purposes or whatever. So it's, it's a bit scary for an administrator uh, when you see that come in on a medical form for a commercial driver that they use marijuana for sleeping purposes. Well, as long as they're not using it when they're driving, that's great. But so, yeah, it certainly has entered into it. And for the most part, many of the Canadian jurisdictions have strengthened their rules around impaired driving, giving police some short-term roadside suspension opportunities to uh, take a driver off the highway if they fail a standard field sobriety test. And But it, it takes funding and resources and a lot of training, especially when it comes to the drug recognition and things like that. So certainly has added to the challenges of roadside law enforcement. And then I guess we want to make sure we give love to all three of your committees. You have the driver and vehicle committee as well. I know we've had some great conversations with them in the past, a lot of overlap in terms of the topics they're looking at, um, as well as that our driver and vehicle, two separate committees, are, are looking at. Yeah, no question. There's a lot of crossover. Always looking at ways and means of making, like the frontline counter service is a big deal for drivers and vehicles because you're always trying to, what do we need for uh, authentication documents for someone coming in to exchange a driver license from California, coming into a Canadian jurisdiction? So uh, a lot of interaction on that side of it. And what we're seeing now, especially in, I'm not sure if it's the same in the U.S., but in Canada with the COVID situation and the pandemic on the go, as an example, in Prince Edward Island, we've had less than 200 cases here in the province of COVID so far. So it's a pretty nice place to live in the country. So now we have the challenges of uh, folks wanting to transition into our... (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So then you have folks, or when the bubble, what we call the Atlantic bubble that was open last year, so folks could travel between New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and Nova Scotia. When it was open, we had lots of folks that were looking to get a Prince Edward Island identification card so they could live in Nova Scotia and come here on the weekends without any question or whatever. So those kinds of challenges certainly are uh, front and center for the Drivers and Vehicles Committee. And we use the relationship with AMVA and the experience that your member jurisdictions have to draw from for us as well. Well, you know, speaking of coming to Prince Edward Island, not necessarily to move there, but certainly to visit, um, I know many folks both in the AMVA and CCMTA community were previously looking forward to visiting Prince Edward Island for the CCMTA annual meeting. And that, of course, was disrupted by the pandemic. How else in any way or not has the operations of CCMTA had to be altered or pivoted because of the pandemic? Well, it's been huge. I mean, it's it's been a tough year, I think, for everyone in the administrative side of things, uh, Ian, especially, I mean, when we started out this pandemic, uh, we were meeting uh, with AMVA and FMCSA. We were doing calls every second week or whatever, because there were so many things changing at such a fast pace. It, it was uh, valuable to have a discussion every once in a while to see, well, what can we do here? What can we do there? What's been going on? But it's changed the way we do business. There's no question. Virtual meetings are great, but uh, you don't get the same effect as you do at the face-to-face meetings. I mean, how many times have we been at a, in a committee meeting at ANVA or at CCMTA and someone talks about something and uh, you get together at a social function that evening and it's stuck in your mind and you get a chance to discuss that. So that face-to-face and that interaction is certainly missing and, and I hope we can get back to it someday, but it will be virtual, I think, for the little time to come anyway until we get everyone, get the herd immunity of a vaccine going. Part of that operational impact of CCMTA, you've had to make some alterations to your governance plans. I believe, you you know, I introduced you as chair of CCMTA. I think originally, correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't scheduled to still be chair of CCMTA by May of 2021. 
That's correct. We were supposed to host the CCMT annual meeting here in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island in uh, June of 2020. And uh, of course, the pandemic hit. Uh, we did our annual meeting virtually. And at that time, in fact, I was due to retire, to be honest with you, in July of that year. And we were in quite a situation here trying to figure out how we were going to do driver licensing and vehicle registrations and extending registrations, the same as U.S. counterparts were doing. So I stayed on for another year. And, and with that, I stayed on as chair of the board of directors for CCMTA for another year. So, And we're hosting our annual meeting this year again virtually. I will be chairing the board of directors meeting and then handing the chair over to Crystal Damer of Alberta, who will take over as chair of the board of directors. And so will the, the hope be that uh, when you can return to a annual meeting, in person. The next one might be in Alberta. Is that what the sites are set on? That is certainly the hope uh, in that we would be able to gather in Edmonton, Alberta. I won't be a part of it, but yes, the members of CCMT will be able to gather there in uh, in 2022 is the hope. And when you say you won't be a part of it, because that's because you're going to get that retirement plan back on track? Is that I the have the retirement plan is back on track, yes. Do you have a specific date in mind or it's just uh, have to get it back on track? <laughs> Actually, the June the 18th is our last day of our board meeting. Uh, and when I finish work here that afternoon, that will be it for me for highway oh, wow. safety. So, yeah. For CCMTA, Prince Edward Island, all at once, hanging it up on the same day. Hanging up on the same day, yes. Well, I'll give you an early congratulations. That's very, well, very exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. So it's a great segue to learn a little bit more about your background, Doug. How, how long have you been the registrar in PEI? I've been the registrar for about six and a half years, Ian. I've been with the department for approximately 20 years. Started off as a uh, motor vehicle inspector and a roadside commercial vehicle enforcement officer and moved in as a safety coordinator and then came into the registrar's chair in October of 2014. What led you to this, to that career originally as a commercial safety officer? What doors opened to you early on? It's hard to believe. I started out as a truck and transport mechanic and an automotive service technician and uh, went to work with a, uh, with, it was a government organization, a school board that uh, working on school buses for 14 years and then came to work with the department in the role of a motor vehicle inspector and transitioned through that uh, into the register's office. That's, that's, that's a fascinating career track. Well, it wasn't in the plans back in 1987, I can tell you <laughs> that. But uh, yeah. And so what does retirement have in store for you? We have, uh, we'll spend more time with our grandkids. I'm going to do a little bit of contract work, some legislation advisory things and things like that. Just to, I don't want to go home and be bored, but I, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an outdoor person. I do a lot of hunting and fishing and that. So I will spend more time with that and spend more time with the grandkids as well. Hopefully they're all there with you in, in PEI because I know that uh, right now you can't really leave PEI too easily. Well, yeah, we have four here. We have two in Alberta. That's the challenge. But hopefully we can travel later this year and uh, spend some time with them as well. Are the folks in the agency prepared for your retirement? They are. They are. I've been uh, I've been blessed, uh, Ian, with some wonderful staff here at Highway Safety in Prince Edward Island. Great people. And uh, so, yeah, I have a couple of deputy registers who will be taken over and there'll be a new register in place. And uh, so we have a really strong regulatory team here at Highway Safety and it'll it'll all my presence will not be missed at all. Well, I think we, we say when that when that happens, it means you've done your job exceptionally well when you've prepared for it to operate without you being there. That's a, that's a huge sign of success. There's really well, no, no better job than anybody can do. Uh, as it relates back to CCMTA, as we start to wrap up, what are some of the new up and coming resources that we might want to keep our eyes out for that might help members on, on either side of the border? Really? 
Sure. So there's a couple that come to mind immediately. Uh, the revised National Safety Code Standard 16 on commercial truck driver entry-level training, taking into consideration technology and distance learning. We're still working on trying to get something that uh, rather than have to send someone to a driving school, they'll be able to do some home study before to prepare them for the, the training. Uh, revised National Safety Code 6 on determining driver fitness in Canada. Small changes made regarding diabetes, hypoglycemia, and peripheral vascular disease information changes there. And uh, upcoming Canadian jurisdiction guidelines for the safe testing and deployment of highly automated vehicles. And this based on AMBA's work in this area. So those are three that come to mind right off the bat. Are you starting to see those, those vehicles pop up in either testing or deployment on Canadian roads? Uh, they're probably in some of the bigger centers. We haven't seen them here. One of the big ones here right now is everyone is pushing electric vehicles, Ian. So we're seeing a lot of electric vehicles on the highway here now. So trying to get charging stations in place so that uh, folks can operate them successfully across the province. Yeah, I think we're starting to see that, you know, of course, more and more on this side of the, the border as well. Though I think maybe there is a population excitement for fully electric cars in Canada that might be outpacing uh, the U.S., yeah, there's huge interest in the whole topic. And I've looked at some of the equipment that's used on the self-driving cars that are using on commercial vehicles for pedestrian detection and things like that. So there's some huge changes coming to transportation to improve safety for cyclists and pedestrians and that. So looking forward to seeing that. That's a great point. The automation technology allowing for um, the safer interaction of the different road users, I think, is is quite promising. Yes. So, you know, to take it full circle, the growth of electric vehicles and your background that started as a mechanic, commercial vehicle inspector, in many ways, that technology is really going to revolutionize those jobs that you started your career in decades ago whether it's even before you became an officer when you were fixing the vehicles, right? It's a whole different skill set to fix an electric vehicle, let alone to inspect one at roadside. No question. No question. There's a huge amount of training involved and, and there's some huge challenges and, and there's challenges for first responders and, and everything else that needs specialized training with those vehicles. So yeah, it, it has been quite a change over the years. And I mean, we moved, uh, we went from in the 80s uh, to basically a carbureted gas engine and then into the 90s where we had more, you know, electronically controlled to fuel injection to computerized. So there's been quite a transition over the years, but electric will be a whole new ballgame for, for most technicians and shops. Maybe it's a third career awaiting you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Doug, thanks for spending time with us today to learn a little bit more about CCMTA and, and what you're all working on. Being part of the AMVA team, I do want to give a shout out and thanks to the CCMTA staff that are the full-time staff at CCMTA. We collaborate with them quite often. Um, and since you're the chair of the board, there's no better person to say how much we appreciate the staff at CCMTA, how they're always very responsive and great to work with and a great group to collaborate with. So however many listeners we have today, <laughs> to them to know that, uh, that we're so appreciative of them and for you to pass on to all of your board members. Thank you. I will do that, Ian. Appreciate that. Very kind. Well, Doug, again, congratulations on the upcoming retirement. Um, hopefully, we'll see you on the virtual CCMTA annual meeting. And whenever we're back in person, you know, still come to the ANVA meetings, come to the CCMTA meetings. We always like to see the best chairs of either board popping into to our gatherings. Well, I don't want to be too glad to be able to join you. So thank you for the interest <laughs> today. Yeah.
Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Amvacast. I want to thank our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, and we'll see you all next week right back here on the Amvacast. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Amvacast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by Vinsmart.
Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.